Well, good morning, everybody. I like this place. All right. Well, my name's Brent. Um, I actually am at the West Haven campus, the Alpine Church West Haven campus. I do the youth there. I teach the Sunday's class uh, for the teenagers there um, normally. Um, my full-time job, though, is I work at the YCC Family Crisis Center, which is downtown Ogden. It's a domestic violence shelter, among other things. Uh, but my job there is to go into the schools and talk to students in health classes about healthy relationships, uh, safe dating, dating violence, abuse relationships, things like that. And so I love that part of my job. But I love coming here. I love coming out to Brigham. I was excited to see the new place and just continue to talk with you guys about spiritual warfare, you know. Um, we started this last week. So if you were here, you kind of got an overall kind of an overview of what spiritual warfare really is. Um, so now we're going to get a little more into the details of how that affects our lives. Um, does this topic scare anybody a little bit? Are any of you guys like a little afraid of like horror movies or scary movies or loud noises? Or anybody afraid of the dark still? I know Mike is still afraid of the dark. Yeah, you know, my, my daughter has a... a, a uh, bedroom in the basement, and she has to go down the stairs and all the way back to go to her bedroom, and she turns every light on as she goes to her bedroom, you know? And then in the middle of the night, I have to wake up and turn every light off. And so a lot of people are scared of the dark. Don't be ashamed. But um, I love to scare people for some reason. Like, I just have fun doing that. I'm one of those people. When my wife and I were dating, we were in California, and we were doing youth ministry together. And one night, she invited all of the junior high girls in her small group to her house to, like, watch a scary movie in her apartment where she was living. So I grabbed all the junior high boys, and we decided we we're going to go over and scare them. Well, the door was locked. She's on the second floor. We're like, how are we going to do this? And so I noticed on the balcony of her apartment, the sliding glass door was open a little bit. So I climbed the drain pipe. And I got up to the balcony, and I kind of crawled over, and I threw open the door, and I was just like, ah! And just popcorn went everywhere, you know? These little junior high girls are screaming and jumping behind the couch and stuff, and I thought it was hilarious. My girlfriend didn't talk to me for a couple of weeks after that, but she still married me, so she knew what she was in for. Um, so... When we're talking about spiritual warfare, it's not just this outwardly thing, right? It's not just scary horror movies or demonic movies or possession of the exorcist. Like, it's not just that. It's not just things about that. It's everyday things that we need to recognize that can be spiritual warfare. And so we included some, we're including three of these things. We're talking about the world, the flesh, the devil. Um, and today we're really going to get into what the world, how the world is spiritual warfare. And so we've been using this first, if you remember from last week, it said, and when you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom were we all once lived in the passions of a flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And so you can see those three things in there. You can see the world, the prince of power of the air, which means the devil or Satan, and then the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, and it talks about the passions of the flesh. And so those three things, you know, the flesh, the world, the devil, the world, what we're going to talk about today is more of this pull from the outside. Next week when we get into the flesh, it's more of the pull from the inside. But really, the devil and his demons are kind of at work in those two arenas. And so we're going to start today with kind of a definition of what we mean by the world. 
So the world is an organized system in opposition and rebellion against God. So that's the biblical definition of what the world is. Another biblical, biblical definition might be that the world is the totality of all human wisdom, endeavors, and activity, and ideas that are apart from God. And so when we talk about the world, we can see, you know, it even says the course of the world in that verse that I read you, but an organized system that really has a strategy behind it, it really has a direction, a course that it's going, and a pattern. And if you just even start in the very first book of the Bible at the fall of Adam and Eve, we see how the world kind of takes over. And so we see that the Bible says that, you know, we have been turned against God, really. And I, I feel like it's nothing new. It's not something that we're just experiencing, this generation of Christians. It's been around for a long time as far as how the world is different from what God says the world should be or how we should behave or what we should believe in and those sorts of things. And so I don't think you could look at the world and say everything is totally evil because there's a lot of great people, good things, good things happening. People are loving each other, helping each other. There's a lot of good in the world. But when we look at the world in this sense, I think the theme carries throughout Scripture that we see a constant contrast between the things of God and the things of this world. And so in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the, of the good news. And so we see here that Satan is given the title of God of this world, but if you notice, it's a little g, <laughs> like it's not capitalized because he is not divine. Like he is not even close to the divine nature of God, the creator God. He is a created being. And so, but he's still giving a little bit, he's allowed to have a little bit of authority in this world that's kind of blinded the minds of those who don't believe to be able to see the good news of the gospel. So without God's spirit intervening, the good news is really foolishness to this world. And so in 1 Corinthians 18, it says that the cross is the foolishness to those who are perishing. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever hopefully had the opportunity to share your faith, to answer questions of why you believe what you believe with your family or friends or coworkers or whatever, but maybe you're doing it and you're like, wow, I'm really explaining this well. I'm really proud of myself. But then the people that are just looking at you with a blank stare and they just don't get it. And you're like wondering, why are you not understanding this? Why don't you get this? Why don't you understand how wonderful and good news this is? Well, really, it's because we are all have been blinded to it because of this world that we live in. And so Satan tries to blind people, um, and that's the spiritual warfare that's happening right at that moment. And so spiritual warfare is primarily going on in our minds, in everybody's minds, whether you're a Christian or not. That's primarily where it comes from. And then 1 John, it says, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. So I want to make it very clear that though the devil is described as having control of this world, it's only what God allows. He's only allowed to have control of what, you know, God's sovereignty is because God has sovereign, has sovereign has sovereignty over this world and sovereignty over the devil. And so there's examples throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament of this. In the Old Testament book of Job, Satan actually goes to God and asks permission to be able to really hassle Job and really destroy Job's life. And God grants him that permission to really show us a biblical principle. But also in the New Testament, Jesus, on the night before he was going to die, tells Peter, Peter, the devil wants to sift you like wheat, but at this moment, God doesn't allow it. 
And God even restores Peter after Peter had denied him three times. And so you can see the sovereignty of God and the control of God, even though Satan has a lot of authority in this world. So we don't have to fear all these Bible verses that talk about the devil in this world and different things because number one, is it is limited by God's sovereignty. But number two, we as Christians, if you believe in Jesus for faith and salvation, it doesn't even, it doesn't even apply to us at all. It says here that we are the child, the children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. So we're not as Christians, as believers, but the world can be. And so John contrasts between us as children of God and the world, and he says that we know that the children of God and the world around us are all have influence by the evil one. And so that's going to be... If you were here last week, you can see, you can remember we talked about footholds and strongholds, and the world establishes a foothold by putting ideas in your head that go against God's word. And so the world wants to create footholds in our life, these small little things that might just, you know, basically just kind of confuse us and make us want to believe something they may not want to be true. But if you allow those footholds into your life, they can eventually become strongholds. And so that's what we mean by footholds and strongholds, and we'll talk more about that. But again, these ideas are a battle of the mind, the spiritual warfare that happens all the time. And we live in this world that's very successful at creating falsehoods that lead to strongholds. And so it even happens within the church. And so Paul wanted us to, wanted us to know the best way to be able to battle these things. And he says in Colossians, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And so I love the way this says this because it talks about empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Doesn't that sound like the world we live in right now? <laughs> you know? And so all of these crazy things that are happening in the world, it's all kind of like high-sounding nonsense and utter foolishness. Um, I just took a group of, of teenagers from Alpine West Haven, and we went to feed the homeless in Salt Lake City. And on the drive out there, they were telling me about these junior high girls at their junior high school that are called furries. Do you guys, have you guys ever heard the furries term? Have you guys heard this? Yes? You've heard this? Um, these young girls just basically believe that they're cats. And so they wear little, you know, headbands with ears. They might even have a tail on in school. And they, these kids told me that a lot of them at lunch will, like, drink milk out of bowls, you know. Like, they are just going for it. And so not in Utah, but I know in other places in the country, there are some school districts that are actually thinking about putting litter boxes in bathrooms for these young people to go in, which is disgusting. But is that not the silliest thing you've ever heard? And I know this is just a fad, right? It's going to pass. But still, it's just utter foolishness, right? It's total nonsense. So that's a crazy example, I know. But that's what we mean. So we are going to take uh, the majority of this sermon to go through six different things as far as, you know, different bad ideas, different footholds that I feel like the world can get in our lives. And so this is not an exhaustive list, but these are definitely things that you can be more aware of and more sensitive to, to be able to keep your ears and eyes open to what the truth is versus what the world is telling you. So the first one is social media. You know, your value is directly proportional to the number of likes or followers, right? That's like a bad idea, but a lot of us live by that, unfortunately. 
I'm not saying that social media is like of the devil and it's like the worst thing out there because there's a lot of social media that is super helpful, right? You know, it's super helpful. It can be really, really great at passing around really good ideas um, or connecting with your family or friends, which is what it was originally intended for. But the sad thing is a lot of social media has really created something that really questions who we are or how loved we are or, you know, how liked we are and all those different things. And so it's really, you know, connection is what social media is supposed to be about. And if you really have good connection with people, you could be honest and open even about your weaknesses and shortcomings. But things like that aren't happening in social media anymore. We're kind of putting up this false front, really, that's really not all about our whole lives. And so I don't know if you've ever you know, took your kids on a vacation and took really beautiful pictures and look how much fun we're having. And that's great. You know, people are like, that looks so fun. You look like such a fun family. But none of you are going to do put video on social media of a family fight, right? Like, it's just not going to happen. So we see how we share the good things, but not necessarily the messy things. And then other people are like, well, they have the perfect life. Why was my life so perfect? And you can see the downward spiral of what social media can do to us. And so many young people, you know, they tie their value into how many views or likes they get on Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. And we put on this fake face, and sometimes we're even putting on this really cool-looking filter to make ourselves even look even better, you know? And so all those things kind of get down to the thing of like, man, we have a really self-esteem problem or really a pride problem. I love to rock climb and camp and paddleboard and canyoneer and I'll do that fun stuff. And I'll put stuff on social media of me hanging from a rock or in a beautiful canyon or out on a beautiful lake. And some people will be like, you know, that's cool, like whatever. But then if I put any picture of just me and my wife, like likes and views just blow up. And I should be proud of that, right? But I'm not. Usually I'm like, why do people like my wife more than me, you know? <laughs> or why don't we get like cool things said about me when I'm with my wife, you know? And that's pride creeping in is what that is. I, I have a TikTok and um, I don't do much on it. I mostly look at other people's. But like I had a full on beard and I, one day I like shaved and I like shaved a goatee, took a picture, shaved a really creepy mustache, took a picture and done all these different things. And I like put the pictures on my TikTok and I'm like, which one do you guys think is the coolest, you know? And just did a fun TikTok like that and I went to sleep that night and woke up the next morning and it had like almost 12,000 views and I'm like man I'm pretty cool you know and then I went and talked to this junior high kid and he's like oh that's nothing Brent and he showed me this picture of him just fishing like a video of him fishing it was stupid and he got like over 20,000 likes I'm like what the heck man you know and so you can see how pride creeps in right when we're talking about social media and those different things and that's a really bad idea Unfortunately, many young girls will take a lot of sexy selfies now and they'll put them all over those social media just because they want people to like them or think they're pretty or beautiful or whatever, you know? And they may have a low self-esteem and they're looking for that, you know, they're looking for that attention in a really, really the wrong way. And so we need to fill that void, I feel like, that only God can fill, not anybody else. And so we need to change that bad idea of finding value in social media or in others with the truth that the value, our value, really comes from God. It really comes from the, the, the God that created us and the God that loves us. So the next one is commercialism. 
The bad idea is you can only be happy if you buy the product we're selling right now, right? It's on sale right now, limited time only, like all those different things. We had this mattress store in Riverdale forever that said, going out of business sale, but it was going out of business for years, you know? So it was like, whatever, you know? Under new management, whatever, all those different things. And so we, as 21st century Americans, I feel like we really buy into commercialism, especially in America. So. Have you ever like, you know, I want you to think back on that one thing that you bought that you totally regret. Like maybe you purchased it in the moment or whatever. If any guys think like, what was I thinking buying this thing? And this is going to go in way back, but I don't know if any of you ever bought like those Chia Pets or those Pet Rocks or the Thigh Master or the Snuggie or whatever those stupid things people used to always sell, you know? You guys remember when like hoverboards were super popular? Like kids are hoverboarding everywhere and I'm like, I can walk faster most than the most of those hoverboards, you know? I didn't understand what the point was. Now everybody's got the one wheel, which is actually kind of cool because they go a lot faster. But there's all these different things that we just feel like we have to get in order to complete our lives or complete ourselves or whatever. And so, but what happens is commercialism and wanting to buy this or that can be a foothold. And then when we get greedy, it becomes a stronghold. And then the greed turns into discontentment. And then this discontentment turns into maybe some financial worries because you spend all your money. And then financial worries turn into, man, it really puts a lot of stress on my marriage. So you see how one little foothold can turn into a stronghold? And those are all really, really bad ideas that come from the world. And in Matthew 6, Jesus tells this story about, well, he's talking about, you know what? Don't worry about things. Don't worry what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about those things. I'm going to take care of those things. He told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If Jesus talked about all that materialism back then, what do you think he would say to us now? I mean, it's way more crazy now than in Jesus' day. So God isn't anti-wealth. He's anti-temporal wealth which means he wants us to focus on things that are going to last for eternity, for people, for things like that, not on things that are here today and gone tomorrow. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was written by Paul, but the context of that is being content with what you have. He said, you know what? I can, have, I can be totally hungry or I can be well-fed. I can have plenty or I can be in want. He says, it doesn't matter because I've learned that as long as I can be content in my relationship with Jesus, I don't need any of that stuff. And so, you know what? A new iPhone, a new car, a new ski boat, whatever you're into, you know, that's going to be great for a time, but it's not going to satisfy you forever. And so we need to look to Jesus to the one that satisfies our souls. The next one is news and politics. And the bad idea is that it's acceptable to end the life of an unborn child. Now, the Bible is full of verses that talk about the sanctity of human life. You know, it's full of verses that talk about, like Psalm 139 talks about how we are created in, you know, how God has knitted us together in our mother's womb, you know. Like he's putting us together and giving us our eye color and our personality and our sense of humor and all those different things. Like God is your creator and all life is precious. And so we know that those, those verses in there, which are wonderful. And so then when we look to things like abortion and we look to the just recently overturned um, of Roe v. Wade, right? A lot of Christians are celebrating that because the Bible has such a strong view on the sanctity of human life. 
But I feel like we have to be very careful because we can really think like, you know, we can wash our hands and be like, well, that's that. We did our job. But then not care for the people that it's actually affecting. And so we have to get down to think about like, yes, I care about life and unborn children, but I also care about those mothers that are in a desperate situation that maybe they think that abortion is their only option. And so we have to like, you know what, I feel like our job is just beginning to go care for those mothers and those children, go care for those families, go care for those people. And we could do that in simple ways like maybe, you know, offering to babysitting, maybe helping a young mom out with medical bills and baby checkups, you know, maybe doing things like more radical things like foster care or adoption, you know. All these different things, I feel like we need to be on the lookout and really help people that are struggling. And so I, I think finding out the reason why people even were faced with abortion and preventing those things from happening is really the key. And what I love to do in my, li- in my job is I, when I go to all these different high schools and junior highs and talk to students about what does a healthy relationship look like? What does an unhealthy one look like? Let's talk about consent and how you can say no. Let's talk about how you can respect somebody's boundaries. Let's talk about all those different things that actually in the long run are going to cause people to have a lot less rape and sexual assault. And by doing that, you're going to have a lot of less young girls with unwanted, unwanted pregnancies. And so you see how there's all these different creative ways that we can actually really be the hands and feet of Christ in other people's lives. That's loving others. And so don't, I think another bad idea is thinking that politics is the way that we change the world. I think the way we change the world is by loving other people. And I don't think we should ever put politics over people, and we shouldn't, certainly should never put politics over Jesus. And so I feel like that's really important. So that's news in politics. Whoops. The next one is false religions. And some of these false religions, most of them say, follow the rules to earn their place in heaven, and that's a bad idea. Essentially, every major religion out there, except for biblical Christianity, teaches that if you follow the rules, rules, you get to go to heaven or nirvana or being reincarnated or whatever the next step in their religion may be. And really, those are really bad ideas because I don't think there's enough things that you can do that's good or enough things that maybe outweigh the bad things like There's not enough that we can do to earn our salvation. We can't do anything to save ourselves. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. We need that in our life, and that's the gospel. If you were here for the pursuit sermons, you know, series, the last ones that we did, we talked about how we have to be a full circle Christian. In other words, that we have to trust Jesus, but we also have to honor God with our lives. But we don't honor God to earn a place in heaven. We honor God because we're thankful that he's given us a place in heaven. We have gratitude for what he's already done for us. That's why we honor God. So it's not our salvation doesn't come from what we do. It comes from faith in Christ alone. Ephesians 2 says that by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We can't boast about what we did, how we saved ourselves, because that's not how it works. We can only boast about what, how Christ has died for us and how he gives us our salvation through his death on the cross. The next bad idea is progressivism. The Bible is old-fashioned and talks too much about sin, right? Like, that's a bad idea. There's, 
a lot of footholds that's been caused in people's lives, but there's a lot of footholds that have happened in the church too that are becoming strongholds, unfortunately. There's a lot of churches in America that look more like the world than they do look, than they look like the body of Christ, unfortunately. And they're trying to make an effort just to be more appealing to the world, to get people in their doors. And then they stop talking about things like sin and sex and divorce and drunkenness and things like that. And they think it's a loving thing to do. I'm just trying to be loving to the world, but they're sacrificing what they really believe or what the Bible says. If you have a terminal disease and you don't know it, if you have an addiction and you don't think you do, I think the loving thing to do would be come to you and said, you have this disease, you have this addiction, let me help, let me give you the answer, let me show you the cure. Like, that's a loving thing to do, right? And we all have the terminal disease we call sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin are death, and we have to talk about sin because the Bible talks about sin. So we have to know how the bad, the bad news is so that we know how good the good news is. And so all those things, Jesus said that unless a person is born again, they can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught this to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. And it was a radical thing for Jesus to say because he was telling Nicodemus that you're fundamentally broken, that you have to start over, that you just can't take what you have and dress it up and pretend like it's your sin's not there. Jesus said, no, you have to... Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you need Jesus in your life and you need a Savior. And admit that you can't save yourself, and that's what it means to be born again. So once we realize how hopeless we are in our sin, it just shows us how much more we need salvation and how a beautiful thing, an amazing gift, we can have that salvation through Jesus Christ. And the Bible's not old. I mean, it is old, but it's not old-fashioned, <laughs> you know? It's definitely not, you know, out of, it's definitely not relevant. It's definitely still relevant in our lives, even though it is old. And so the core number one value of Alpine Church is really that we look to God and his word and all that we do, because God's word is alive, it's very active, it's very relevant to everything that we go through in our life, it's very useful, and it should be our final authority. And it is definitely anything but old-fashioned and outdated. So the last one is relativism. It says, everyone should get to do what is right in their own eyes. And this sounds really wonderful and great, right? We're like, yeah, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do whatever sounds good to me. I want to do things that make me feel good. Like, that is relativism, and it's a very bad idea. We want to think, you know, we have the right perspective. Everybody else is wrong, or things like that. But there's a lot of Proverbs that disagree with that sentiment. Proverbs 12:15 says, the way of a fool seems right in his own eyes. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. In Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so you can see that we cannot trust ourselves. You know, I hate that saying, like, just follow your heart, because our, my heart has led me in the wrong direction before, and I'm sure your heart is too. And so we need to compare what the world says with what the Bible says. And so one of the world's, one of, one of the Old Testament's worst time in the world was really in the book of Judges, where it talks about there's so much chaos, there's so much violence, there's so much horrific things going on, you know, and misery. And two times in the book of Judges, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that was the result. And so if we look at our culture today, there, we shouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of relativism going on out there. Well, people just want to do what they want to do, and they think that's okay. And it's not okay. And so 
there's a lot of the footholds that people get, that Satan gets in people's lives, but also in the church. And James even says this, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend with the world, you make yourself an enemy, an enemy of God. And so James is writing to the church, and he's calling them adulterers because in the Old Testament, we were, God would call us the bride. We are the bride of God. And so in, in, in the New Testament, it talks about us being the bride of Christ. And so when we don't follow God, when we stray and leave him, it's almost like this, this theme of adultery. And so this doesn't mean that the church shouldn't be loving and welcoming to the world. We absolutely should be. We need to be Christ-like. We need to follow the example of what Jesus did when he was on earth, when he had dinner and meals and hung out with people that all the religious people considered bad sinners, right? You know, the tax collectors and the smelly fishermen and the prostitutes and all those different things. That's amazing of what Jesus did, and we should follow that example. But what Jesus didn't do was he didn't crave what they had. He didn't crave what the world had. He didn't want that. He wanted to give them something totally different and new and beautiful. And so we should engage with the world around us, but we shouldn't crave what the world has. Our only craving should be giving the world the gospel, should be setting them free through Jesus. That should be what we'd be craving, is how can we love in these, in, and share the, our faith with these people? That's what we should be craving, not what the world wants to give us. So... In 1 John 2, it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in the achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So this, all that to say is that we have to see the truth in the Bible, and we have to compare it with what the world is telling us. And our last point is this is that we win the war with the world by exercising spiritual discernment in our everyday lives. So we have to know what is true, and we have to know what is false. And we have to have that spiritual discernment that helps us tell the difference. And in Romans 12, it says, Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so if we just did nothing with our Christian lives, you know, outside of maybe coming to church every once in a while, you know what would happen to us? We would get pulled away by the world. We would drift away from God. That's what it would happen to us because we have to contradict what the world is telling us by reading the Word, by reading the Bible, by praying, by spending time with God in prayer, by being with other Christians in small groups. We have to, that's how we renew our minds, right? That's how we not conform to the world is by being, doing all those spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, Fellowship with other believers, all those things are super, super important, and that's the way that we get spiritual discernment. Now, years ago, I lived with a bunch of guys, and we were all Christians, and we decided for one weekend, we're going to go to every different type of religious service we can possibly find. So we went to an LDS church, we went to a Hindu temple, we went to a Universalist church, and we just went in not to like, you know make a fuss and make an argument, we went in to ask questions to find out what they believed. And it was a wonderful learning experience to see what all these other different religions believed. But we came home and we compared it to what the Bible said. And we're able to be discerning about what others believed versus what the Bible tells us. And it was a wonderful learning experience. And I know that you guys 
that are, you know, that have small groups. You know, your job is to really help your small group learn spiritual discernment. You parents, your job is to help your kids learn spiritual discernment. You know, husband and wives, you can do this for one another to be able to compare what the world is telling you with what the Bible tells you. And so last verse is, test everything that is said, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. So if Paul back then was talking to the church to be very, very, have, you know, talking about prophecies and how to test prophecies and that sort of thing, how much more should we test what the world is telling us? And so that is very, very important. We have to know what is good, what is acceptable, what is honoring to God. And the cool, important thing is that he that is in you is stronger than he is that in the world. So let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have given us the truth. God, that we can know the truth. God, that we have the word that we, able to, that we can study and find the truth. And God, I thank you that you relieve that. To, you reveal that to us, God. And I thank you that, God, you put other people in our life to be able to continue to teach us the truth. And I pray that you would help us to continue to seek their wisdom, but also to be able to turn around and be able to share the truth with others. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to uh, just be strong and to be bold in the spiritual warfare that we have with the philosophies and the ideas of this world. Uh, Lord, that we would stand up for what we believe in. Uh, we would stand up for what the, your word says, God. And I pray that as a result, God, not only would we stay strong in our faith, but God, that we would show others that, God, there is truth out there that really, really satisfies, that really, really brings things together, that really, really changes lives. In Jesus' name, amen.